You know, today Hunter begins a, a journey through life. Once you have been baptized, that means two things. One, it's a public statement that you believe in Jesus Christ. But two, it's the beginning of a journey of discipleship. It's the beginning of a journey where you join yourself to a church, where you say, I am committed to this group of people, and they are committed to me. Today, we are committed to you because you have been baptized here, you have joined this church, and we're going to do everything in our power to support you, support your parents, to make sure that you grow into the man that God meant for you to be. Now, the journey we look at today is very similar to one we find in the scriptures. We're in the book of Acts today, the book of Acts. The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles is the full title of that book, in case no one ever told you guys. The Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. You know, when you celebrate baptism, it's one of the two greatest privileges a pastor has. The two greatest privileges a pastor has is marriage and baptism. Now that we baptize them, I've got to stick around long enough to get them married off. Then I will have finished my job. Amen? Well, that's going to be in about 30 years. So we're all set there. Okay. Now the journey of a person to maturity is just like the journey of the Ethiopian official. The Ethiopian official that we encounter in Acts chapter 8 is probably one of the most famous stories when it comes to the rite of baptism. Now, I grew up in an area of the country which was predominantly Catholic. So when I was a kid growing up, most people were baptized as an infant in the church by having water poured on their head. Uh, I hate to tell you that that is not a scriptural way to baptize because the word in the Bible is baptizo, which in the Greek means to shove under or to immerse. If I really wanted to baptizo Hunter, I would have taken his head, I would have pushed him down into the water and held him as I prayed. It's not too late, but I think we've turned the, we've turned the water off, so we're good. And that, so the word baptizo means to immerse. Why? Because it is a symbol of what happens to the believer when they come to Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus standing up, and then it begins with the word. Let's look at this. It begins with the word. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. This was an important man. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on the way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud, and the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Now let's stop right there. Let's take a look at this. Let's do a background check. This is an Ethiopian man in charge of the treasury of Queen Candace. Now that means he is intelligent, he is educated, he is powerful. It says he has come to Jerusalem to worship. That means he's one of two things. He is either a Jew who is living in Ethiopia, or he is a proselyte, one who has converted from the religion of Ethiopia into the worship of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that's very important. That means he's already been baptized. Now, when you become a Jew, when you leave a, a foreign religion and you join yourself to Yahweh, you experience what's called a mikvah. 
A mikvah is very similar to this. If you go all throughout the area of Israel, you will find small stone carved into the ground tubs. The mikvah was called the womb of the unbeliever. Why? Because if you were born in a foreign country, born to the worship of foreign gods, you were unacceptable to the God of Israel. You were unacceptable to Yahweh. So you would come and you would study the Jewish scriptures. You would learn who this God was and what he expected. Then the rabbi would take that candidate and step them down into the mikvah. Then they would literally take their head, press them down into the water because you are basically re-entering the womb of creation. Then he would bring you back up and he would say basically in Hebrew, you were born a Jew, you were born not of Israel. You were born not of the tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But today you have been reborn or born again a child of God. Now, when Jimmy Carter was president, he used the phrase born again, and everybody made fun of him. I don't know why. That is a very biblical, it's a very Jewish expression. You may have been born an Ethiopian like this man was, but you were reborn a Jew, a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by faith in Yahweh. That's where the whole baptism comes from. You are being reborn. It's a restarting of your life. Now, when Jesus comes along, it takes on more meaning, but let's go on from here. It says he had come to worship. He's a proselyte, a convert to Judaism. He is sitting in his chariot, and he is reading the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is amazing. It is powerful. It would take months and months and months, if not a full year, for us to go through the book of Isaiah completely and draw out all of its meaning. So he says, the Spirit says to Philip, Go up there and stand by that chariot. Go up there and, and listen. Now, all of this comes after a portion we didn't read. Acts 8, 4 through 8. Listen to this. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, the Messiah. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. If you've ever seen someone delivered from a demonic spirit, it is something you will never forget. It is something I would like to not remember. But I've only seen it once in my life, and I wish, I'm glad I was there, but I wish I wasn't, because that sort of thing haunts you when you see someone delivered from a demonic spirit. So these people were shaken. They were completely shaken because they saw people who had been possessed by spirits set free and completely changed. Remember when Jesus went to the demoniac in the tombs? It says, and the people came out and they saw him sitting clothed and what? In his right mind. This man had been insane. He had been crazy, cutting himself in the tombs. And yet when Jesus simply said, get out of him, he was set free. He was completely set free. I saw that happen to a 16-year-old once. It's insane. As a child, her father died. And when he died, her mother took her to a Buddhist priest. And, and they had the father's spirit called up to speak through the daughter. This doesn't happen. Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die, then the judgment. All these fools 
like Jonathan Edwards and all the others who speak to the dead, they are not speaking to the dead. They are speaking to demons. And when this young girl's mother called up her dead husband, it wasn't her dead husband. It was a demon that entered into this child. And throughout her whole life, she heard the demon speaking. She felt the demon moving. And when she was set free by Jesus Christ, the demon continued to plague her. My wife can tell you because when she came the first time and manifested the spirit, it was in her house where she was staying with some other Christian women in Taiwan. And, and she manifested signs which were clearly demonic in their origin. But you see, the mother thought she was just speaking to her husband. She was speaking to a demon and the demon never left. After the demon was finally cast out, I, I saw her just before we returned to the United States. And I said, Christina, how are you? She said, I'm okay. I said, do you have any more problems? She says, I hear it. I hear it outside me, but I know it's not inside me. That's a growth. That's amazing. The demon will convince you that it has power over you, but in Jesus' name, it has no power over you. So that's what Philip was doing. He was casting out demons. He was the most successful man in the entire city. Then the Spirit says, oh, leave your successful ministry, leave these thousands of people who love you, and go to the middle of the desert. Remember, the desert was hot, barren, dangerous. People got robbed, people got killed in the desert on this desert path. Yet Philip has this successful ministry, and God says, go. Go out here to where there's nobody, and I'll show you what to do. He did it. He did it. And when he encountered this Ethiopian eunuch, this convert to Judaism, he heard him reading the book of Isaiah. So you see, it begins with the word of God. The word of God that comes to us when, he's, when, when God says, go and do this thing. But also the word that comes to the new believer, to the weak believer, to the one who doesn't understand yet. And the word begins to open the door in their minds. That's what VBS is for. To plant the word and see what God will do with it. But you know what? It's not, it doesn't just begin with the word. It is confirmed by the testimony of those around you. Acts 8.30. When Philip ran up to it, meaning the chariot, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? Pay attention, church. This is your job. Many people read the word of God and don't get it. Many people read the word of God and don't understand. They think they get it, but they don't. Your job is to understand the word of God, to let it live in you so that when someone says, I don't get it, you can go, let me explain it to you. And look how he did it. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. We know this from from Christmas. When we talk about the birth of Jesus, we know it from Easter when we talk about him standing before Pontius Pilate. He says this, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth? If you don't understand that, that's Hebrew for he didn't have any kids. Jesus never had three wives like Dan Brown says. He never had children who persist to this day. That's nonsense. That's a sick fantasy of a twisted mind. Jesus was born. He lived a solitary life. He died without leaving descendants. That's why it says there is no name of his left in the earth. You have to know how to read the Hebrew to figure out what's going on. 
The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who was the prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. When you want to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, don't tell them your experience. You can mention your experience. Your experience can come into it. But what is it that changes the human life? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. How will people hear if nobody speaks the word to them? The Ethiopian eunuch had been converted to Judaism. He had the scriptures of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. But he couldn't draw the lines yet. That's why Philip is sent by the Holy Spirit to draw the lines to Jesus. Consider this, Luke 24, 27. This is the model that Jesus himself sets. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When Jesus wanted to show them who he was, he started with the Old Testament. He started with the scriptures. He said, well, the Bible says this. Here I am. The Bible says this. Here I am. Guys like Lee Strobel, who's a professor at Houston Baptist University. Lee Strobel started out to destroy Christianity. He hated his wife's faith in God. He set out to destroy it. And every time he studied, every time he looked, he convinced himself, my goodness, this book is right. This book is true. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ. If you ever get a chance, pick it up. He says, based on my knowledge of the law and science, he is an educated man, of course, a professor at HBU. He was a writer for many national newspapers. Lee Strobel said, based on this, in any court of law, we would declare Jesus Christ the Messiah. Just based on what the Old Testament says that is confirmed in the New Testament. Our faith is not blind, people. Our faith is firmly established in what has not changed in 3,500 years. Not since Mount Sinai to today has the word of God changed. Nobody's altered it. We had the scriptures. Then we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know what the Dead Sea Scrolls told us? The ones that we already had were right. No changes, no alterations, no, no weird things coming out of nowhere. There are professors today who want to take and throw away the New Testament. They want to throw away the books like Acts. And say, oh no, this book, this book has nothing to do with Jesus. It was written later. It's just somebody's propaganda. That's a lie of the devil. Amen. This is God's word. You may not like it, but it is God's word and you have to deal with it. So we go on. The Bible reveals the truth about God's plan for men. So Philip starts with this scripture in Isaiah. and He goes all the way through the life of Jesus to show how our lives are changed. And the Ethiopian eunuch has been exposed to the first part of this, but now the completion is coming to us. You see, it begins with the word of God. It is confirmed by the testimony of those who are around us, and it is completed in our obedience. Obedience is a wonderful word that no one likes today. We have an old song, Trust and Obey. Now, I, I like to re-sing that song a little different way. I say, trust and obey, for there's no other way to keep your wife happy than to trust and obey. And all the ladies should be saying something about now. Okay. It's just a joke, people. It's just a joke. But the truth is, there is no other way to live with God than to obey. You don't postpone. 
When God's word says jump, you say how high? When he says work, you say where? When he says go, where to, Lord? Where are you going to send me? I will go. That's the life of the believer. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. As they, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, probably a pool or an oasis. The eunuch said, look, here's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Don't forget, he has already been baptized once. He's already been mikvahed once. When he was pushed into the womb of creation, drawn back out, not an Ethiopian, but a Jew, a child of Abraham. So he has experienced this once, but he realizes that Jesus represents the final stroke. Jesus represents that final movement. You can know there's a God in heaven. That's what Hunter said. Hunter said, I knew, I knew about God. But through VBS and through coming to church and through studying, he was more and more convinced of who God is and what God is doing. That's growth. That's how growth happens. When we are subjected to the word of God, we grow. Do you know why people don't read the Bible? They don't read the Bible because they don't understand it. They don't read the Bible because they do understand it and it hurts. The Bible convicts us all of our sin. It convicts us all of our incompleteness. This Ethiopian eunuch had done everything that Judaism required, but he realized it wasn't enough. It wasn't the final step of placing his faith in Jesus Christ. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Some of your Bibles do not have that verse in it. They say it does not appear in the oldest existing scriptures. And I go, what? Well, they say, we have this old, old one over here, but it doesn't have that particular scripture in it. So therefore, they must have added it later. Oh, really? Well, it appears to me that Romans says this, Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wait a minute. Confession and belief. That sounds exactly like what's going on here. This isn't contrary to anything else in the scripture. I see no reason to remove from the word of God what's been there since 1535. Right? If it's been there since 1535, if the 1611 folks stuck it back in again and nobody monkeyed with it till the 1980s, we all know what happened in the 1980s. America lost its mind. The music was good. The fashion was horrible. Music videos were primitive. And they kept taking things out of the word of God because it made people uncomfortable. You see, if we take that out, then all we have to do to be saved is just think that Jesus was an okay person. Yeah, Jesus was okay. No, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. You understand what that means? He is the anointed one, the only one. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Doesn't matter where they are, where they are born, where they live, what they know, what they don't know. Without Jesus, you don't get to the Father. That is not my call. That is simply what is written. Amen? A lot of us hide from that. We, hide, we want to say, you know what, just be a good person. Just be a nice person. Just don't pick on anybody. Don't be a bully. That's not what the Word of God says. 
Heaven is not for good people. If it was, I wouldn't get to go. You don't know my past. If heaven was for good people, I wouldn't be standing here today. Heaven is for sinners who see themselves as an enemy of God, who repent of that antagonism and throw themselves at the feet of the Messiah for mercy. That's what it takes to go to heaven. That's what the Ethiopian eunuch finally got. That was the missing piece that made the whole Bible come together for him. All of the Old Testament only makes sense if you have Jesus. If the Old Testament doesn't have Jesus, it's incomplete. It stops 400 B.C. and there's nothing else. There's no more prophets. There's no more speakers. There's no more word from God. God disappears from Judaism in 400 B.C. Is God a silent God? No. Does God quit talking? No. Does God quit revealing himself? No. The last truly Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist. And what did he say? Behold the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Same thing. Can you imagine if you heard the final pronouncement of the Old Testament and you said, nope, don't like that, not going to accept it. Well, here's the thing. There's a law called gravity. I don't like gravity. At my age, I keep falling a lot. And when you fall, gravity is not your friend. Amen? It's not your friend. But you know what? Gravity is a law. You don't change the law of gravity. Amen? You may not like it. There are people who throw themselves off cliff all the time and think, I'm going to fly. Gravity is not your friend. Okay, that's the truth. You can't change the law. You have to learn to live with the law. And the law is, he is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through him. That's the law. You cannot change that. Now this is what happens. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. He baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Interestingly, Here's another one of those appearances of that word that you see so rarely. It's the word to be caught away. Okay, because Elijah never died. Elijah was caught away. The Latin is raptura. Caught away. That's where we get the word rapture from. Enoch never died, people. He was raptura, caught away. He walked with God, then he was not. Now, you see another person who is rapture, not into heaven, but to another place of ministry. Here he has this great success. He talks to the man who today is universally hailed as the founder of the Ethiopian Christian church. The church of Jesus Christ in Ethiopia traces itself back to this one man because he goes to Ethiopia with the truth of Jesus Christ. And there, Faith spreads among the people of that country. It's amazing to me. So the spirit carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing because he had found the Messiah. Philip appeared in Azotus and was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This event, this baptism, this stepping down off the chariot was just one more thing 
that Philip did. He didn't sit back and reflect on it. He didn't sit back and go, good job, me. I got the guy baptized. Let's just, uh, let's take a holiday. It was just one more thing that he had to do to serve God. Spirit takes him away. He finds himself in Azotus, and he goes back to work doing the things that God's people do. It's amazing to me. Consider this. If we really want to look at baptism, we have to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is baptism for? See, when we baptize someone today, it's because they have already asked Christ into their life. They have already confessed their sins. They have already been saved. If Hunter had disappeared today before his baptism, he would still be in heaven because he's already saved. I didn't save him in the water. The water didn't impart salvation. Now, there are those churches that do believe that baptism saves. There are those churches that actually baptize for the dead. I don't know what good that's going to do because once you're dead, it's done. It's appointed to a man once to die, then the judgment. You don't get a timeout. There's no purgatory. You can't get snatched up out of jail. Once you're dead, you're either with the Lord or you are in judgment. You understand that? There's no halfway ground. I grew up with a lot of people who believed in purgatory. They believed that they could do things, light candles, say prayers, run rosaries. They believed that all of these things would bring salvation to them, and it doesn't. It only matters what you do with Jesus Christ. Do you see why I am so passionate about this every single week? Eternal life is on the line. With COVID-19 out there, we don't know how long we have. We don't know how long we're going to live. So isn't it better to be in a place where you know where your eternal home is? You know what your faith is about? I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, Miss Helen, that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him, my eternal soul, until the day he delivers me from this earth. That's hope. That's assurance. That's salvation. The last thing I will look at is Romans 6.4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. The reason why the church today does not press down like a mikvah, the reason that we lay a person back is because literally when you step into that water, you are stepping into your own grave. When you are laid down and the water goes over you, that is you dying to whatever you were before. It's a symbol. When you are, when you are baptized, you're dead. Then it is Jesus Christ himself who raises you up to a brand new life, a brand new chance to start over, to do things right. Every morning, people, you have a brand new chance to do it the right way. All of us have bad days. All of us have, I had a bad decade once, but that's okay. All of us have those bad days and things go desperately wrong for a long time. It's never too late to be baptized with Christ and raised to walk in a new life, new chance. Something completely different than what you were. doesn't matter what you did. It matters who you are today based on what you believe and what you do. See, and I think that's amazing to me. That's why every baptism is a chance to invite people. Hey, consider this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the God 
who came down, who died in our place, who took our sins on himself on that cross. Do you believe it is his death that purchases salvation for those who believe? If you do, have you been baptized? Have you made that belief public? I know a lot of private Christians. You know, I'll say, so, so I see a cross on your neck. And I'm notorious for this. It's terrible. Uh, I see a cross. Do you believe it? People always look at me and they go, yes. Good. I wanted to make sure. Because I said a lot of people think that a cross is jewelry. No. The cross is a commitment. Just like this wedding ring is a commitment. I don't ever leave. Once I left my house without my wedding ring, I went back for it. You know why? That thing needs to be on my finger. This is who I am. I am a married man. You know, so all those women out there throwing themselves at me, they ain't going to happen. I belong to one woman. That's one. And that's a good thing. So here's the thing. If you're wearing that cross, you better believe it. You better be able to say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through him. And now through him, I have my place in heaven assured. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray.